Dan's dad left him a load of money, so this is how he can afford all of this stuff, so it is that kind of Bruce Wayne vibe. Could you imagine his dad in his grave? He did what with my fortune? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? So that would have been great. Turn on the screeches. <laughs> if I ever get a proper big sound system in my car, I'm gonna, gonna call it the screech. <laughs> Turn off the flamethrower lorry, you're just making it worse. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to part three of Shark Live Royal's read-through of Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And we are delving deeper into our first graphic novel. And, uh, well, Dave, you're the, you're the man at the helm for this one because uh, you're, you're very much the expert in this pool of two of us <laughs> on Watchmen. So just uh, just remind us where we're up to so far. Right. So um, uh, Watchmen occurs in a parallel universe and we're following um, the, the stories of these people who kind of used to be superheroes or used to be costumed adventurers, really. They're not, they, apart from one of them, there are no superpowers. Um, but the world is going to shit and somehow it has to do with these costumed adventurers and uh, uh, where we left it last time at the end of chapter six was um, uh, quite a bleak uh, existential kind of reflection by this character, this psycho character called Rorschach, who concludes, uh, born from oblivion, bear children, hellbound as ourselves, go into oblivion, there is nothing else. So it's been a laugh a minute so far, <laughs> and um, uh, we've left Rorschach in prison, and now uh, at the start of Chapter 7, we're with two uh, superhero, well, costumed adventurer characters um, called Dan and Laurie. Mm. Um, so we open up, and um, do you remember, right at the very start of, of Chapter 1 of this, mm. I said Rorschach got out a gas-powered grappling gun, and I referred to it in hope as uh, kick-ass superhero gadget number one. Yeah. Right? That was six chapters ago. We now encounter kick-ass superhero gadget number two. <laughs> so it's fair to say, Alan Moore, not much of a one for the hardware. Yeah. More, you know, complex psychology, Alan, fair enough. Philosophy, great. But honestly, where have the kit been, eh? <laughs> That's my question for you. He's not going to answer. He's not going to answer. Anyway, so, um, and it, but it is, I mean, in fairness to him, it is a fairly kind of badass piece of kit because we have um, Laurie, who, as we know, was kind of uh, as uh, her previous uh, bloke who was kind of not, not quite, bloke is not the right word, he was basically a superhuman, has left the planet and she's ended up living with, uh, with Dan Dryberg, who she used to know when they were both adventurers. And uh, she's kind of poking around his house goes downstairs into his garage and discovers a sort of airship. Mm. Um, and she's hanging out and she's, she's, uh, she's you know, she thinks, oh, I'm quite relaxing in here, you know, might have a smoke. She looks for the, um, the, the, <laughs> the dashboard lighter <laughs> and instead activates the, um, the dashboard flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> It's um, It sounds like it should be in some kind of goofball comedy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it 
really does, doesn't it? Like, actually, there's this, and then there's one of the other chapters we're doing today where they really, like, there's some quite serious, deep stuff, but it starts off with almost slapstick. Yeah. Yeah, you can imagine this scene being in, like, a like a, a buddy cop thing where it's like, I was going to lie there, you're a crazy son of a... Oh, shit! <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't decide here whether it's Laurie being spectacularly stupid or Dryberg's just dreadful design. Because at first I thought, I looked at the little screen grab of her and she's hitting the button which appears to be next to missile launcher, assuming <laughs> that it's that it's the, the fag lighter. But yeah. then I looked at the right and it looks like the light dimmer switch is on the right of where she's pointing. <laughs> So what what's going on at all with this console that he's designed? I don't think he's put a lot of thought into it, has he? Um, <laughs> sure, I might want to dim the lights, but then but half then... a second later, I might want to fire a missile or launch a flamethrower. And imagine hitting the wrong one there. You know, I was all I meant to do was blow up the building, but oh, I've set everybody on fire. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You know what it made me think of, though, actually, was... Um, was Dan Dryberg, right, is this incredibly straight character. In fact, we move on and she sets everything on fire. He runs downstairs and helps put out the fire, right? And um, and he says, she's like, look, I'm really sorry. I was just um, just poking around. I was looking for the dash lighter. And he goes in this, like, what seems to be this quite irritated tone of voice. He goes, I don't smoke. <laughs> That was the flamethrower. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's like this absolutely straight character who's like, I don't smoke. What kind of man do you think I am? That was my flamethrower, obviously. <laughs> it's next to the missile launcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Um, yeah, it, and it, we do. How often in Sorry. crime fighting has he been called upon to use a missile launcher? And a flamethrower is the thing. <laughs> right? the, the missiles aren't enough. What I need is a flamethrower as well, just for those kind of situations where my peaceful character expresses itself as an agent of law and order by setting crowds on fire. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, well, which actually I think is a very interesting little little bit of Dan Dryberg's character. Because you were saying last time that he's, he's kind of a bit flat and a bit wet and yeah. not terribly impressive to you at this point. It, does the fact, to you, does the fact that he has a flamethrower on his ride make him any more impressive? I do find the fact that he, he is the gadget man, isn't he? Because he's got all yeah, these kind yeah. of things in his massive underground basement. He's the sort of closest character we've got in this book to sort of Batman. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's yeah sort, that's exactly it, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, that, that is quite interesting. And it's kind of cool to imagine this, sort of this underground little base he's managed to create for himself. I still think, yeah. personally, there's nothing really even in this whole chapter that makes me think he's any less of a bit of a wet end than he is. But, you know, <laughs> I suppose you can't, you know, all types of people are drawn to this line of work, if you, you know, as well. So it's showing just another another side of that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, precisely. Um, but um, I, I, I liked the bit of depth that we got here. I think his character is, you're right, somehow fundamentally wet and kind of badass in that he owns his own flamethrower and you know <laughs> how many superficially impressive people can say that um but um it is kind of that's it's an interesting circle to try and square but i do like that alan moore introduces this slightly more um kind of edgy stuff hmm. um particularly because like you were saying it's not only a flamethrower 
the ship has on it a water cannon, screechers, he says, whatever those will turn out to be. Sure, they're, sure they're very peaceful. Um, radiation screens, air to air missiles, right? <laughs> and later on, he lists what's in his, like, personal kit, like what goes in his, in his sort of costume, you know, the, the, the bare essentials for what he needs to do. Mm. Respirator masks, smoke mm. bombs, pocket laser. The usual stuff, he says. <laughs> Do you think pocket laser is one of those little laser pens? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought. And that's I, I was kind of sad when that was the first thing I thought. Because when I was a kid, if you'd have told me you had a pocket laser, I'd be like, he's got a laser gun. But it's, it's pocket sized. That's yeah. amazing. I bet you can burn holes through walls and stuff. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, lecturing, is he? Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> hopefully it's much cooler than that. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. I hope we see it. Um what do you make of that comment of his, though, where he says, the usual stuff? Like, that—that that is kind of, he might be wet, but he definitely knows how to underplay an impressive situation. You know, yeah. kind of, what's that, baby? Oh, yeah, no, it's just, just my lasers. What? <laughs> no, it's just normal. Just normal. Yeah. What? <laughs> I like his, uh, his, his next move as well to, hey, let's try out the night vision goggles and kind of a... Uh... Sparks fly <laughs> Now that's very interesting because there is this little undercurrent, isn't there, all the way through this of like, like he kind of, he he will like kind of make a move, but then nothing will come of it, mm. and then she'll kind of say something, but he's so lost in his own kind of self-absorption that he doesn't notice. Mm. So there's there's one bit where, um, you know, they're going, they're he's showing her around the around the ship, this. Owl ship, right? Because mm. he's night owl, so he made a ship in the shape of an owl. <laughs> Questionable, I think. Um, and uh, helps her up. And there's the classic. He he kind of takes her hand to help her up, you know, up the up the ladder or something. And then they get to the top, and he just kind of stands there holding it. Mm. <laughs> and then she goes down. I'm I'm safely on board. You can let go of my hand now. Mm. And it's just uncomfortable. <laughs> But that's the story of their whole, I mean, there's a lot of this romance stuff in this chapter. and I think it works fairly well, but it definitely is not kind of, Casanova he is not, right? No, yeah, he's, um, I mean, he's, he's not quite the 40-year-old virgin, is he? But he, he's sort of somewhere <laughs> in between, in between that. That's, that's absolutely immense. There we go. That chap, the uh, title of this part of uh, our coverage of Watchmen showing the 40-year-old virgin. <laughs> <laughs> right um, okay so um so we get kind of slightly more backstory um we get the fact that um uh dan's dad left him a load of money so this is how he can afford all of this stuff so it is that kind of bruce wayne vibe yeah and um uh, Could you imagine his dad then, in his grave? He did what with my fortune? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? So I wanted you to do something other than dress up as a fucking owl, and you dressed up <laughs> as a fucking owl, didn't you? Not only that, you went and made other pieces of equipment that are also supposed to look like a fucking owl. Not noticing that looking like a fucking owl is about as fucking scary as a fucking field mouse. <laughs> that's how I imagine him saying it, anyway. <laughs> So um anyway so uh, so they they kind of go upstairs and they they start watching the news um that that famous aphrodisiac um and uh and 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 shit starts to get smooth right um 
So apparently watching TV and hearing about Rorschach, Rorschach is on the news. Um, yeah. Is uh, that landlady of his has been a right bitch about it, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say that as well. Like kind of it's, we cut between um, Dan and Laurie sort of getting it on or almost getting it on and uh, Rorschach being publicly crucified. Hmm. Um, uh, and and there's, a, there's a great moment actually where it appears we're slightly back in the past because there's a... Um, there's a, the news report says, um, you know, Dr. Malcolm Long carrying out the examination has his first interview with Kovach this afternoon. He told the pressmen he, f- he felt confident and optimistic. <laughs> um, and so, you know, and that's just kind of a nice irony since we've actually seen how that relationship develops into basically the, the destruction of this guy's kind of complacency and so on. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about this? Does Rorschach deserve this kind of public kind of taking to pieces? Well, it, it fits with the with the whole tone of the society, doesn't it? Like when when Rorschach is, is actually captured, it's not like a, we're going to have to take you in, thanks for your work, we're stopping you now. It's mm. we've finally got this weird little pervert, is the, yeah. is the sort of opinion of the police. And you, you feel that's the... The wider opinion of the society is very much a world this where people have turned against these sort of masked vigilantes, haven't they? They don't like mm. them. There's this. Mm-hmm. There's every so often you see this. Who watches the Watchmen uh, graffiti around? And yeah, just from it. I mean, there's towards the end of of our section that we're doing today. There's a good example of just how people are are, are very ready to actually attack these masked people as soon as they find out who they are um which is which is cute which is interesting seeing as you know they they would argue their reason for being is to <clears throat> to sort of protect vulnerable people mm. yeah that's true actually the the people who are well clearly are vulnerable mm. um as we're going to see in the next chapter you know the the, the streets are becoming more and more violent but they're just not interested um in in the kind of legacy of these um these costumed adventurers mm. tell you what i thought about with um uh rorschach's uh landlady like it was the, i thought it was such clever scripting because we've you know we've seen now we've seen rorschach's backstory and how uncomfortable he is with with sex and how so much of his violent impulse is clearly a kind of subliminated sex drive or comes from his kind of unease with what he sees as immorality defined by sex hmm. um and then you have his landlady uh you know who he'd previously who's like visible sexuality he had he had kind of spoken very harshly about before and said it makes him very uncomfortable um you know the next the next time we see her she's on the news saying that he'd frequently propositioned her sexually and it was so strange that in that moment I could feel sympathy for a character that's as as much as anything else misogynistic as Rorschach I was like hey that's not fair that's exactly the opposite of who he is Mm. and it was yeah I don't know that that particular little moment was just a little kind of oh I'm feeling sympathy for a character that I kind of um that I know consciously He's, he's a horrible person, I think, you know? Yeah. I'm a bit softer on Rorschach. I actually quite like the character. 
Um, Come on, man. He spends his entire walking around cities, kicking the shit out of people in pursuit of his own extremely twisted moral agenda. Like he might be, a, he might be a, a protagonist, but this is this is Batman if he doesn't mind killing people and you know and and hates well hates women and buys extraordinarily right wing newspapers and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, do you not think that he's you know, if you take him out of the position he holds in this story, that he's he's just a psycho and one that you'd be very happy to have off the streets. He is a, he is a psycho, but also you don't see him attack anybody who isn't already attacking somebody else. Well, you apart know, from the fellow, apart from the fellow in the bar who cracked the worst joke in the history of bar <laughs> jokes and got yeah. his fingers broken for his trouble, <laughs> some people would say the. The shocking nature of the crapness of that joke was reason enough to break his fingers. <laughs> Comedy fundamentalists, Matt, I think you'd find those people. Are. Bloody uh, hell, can you imagine but, if that was the law? Don't tell a bad joke or Rorschach will get you. <laughs> Fucking hell, nobody would, ever, nobody would ever jest again. Yeah, but what I mean is, I mean, in, in, in the background of this sort of dystopian nightmare that is this, this, the streets of this, this society... He does have some kind of moral agenda as he's going about his business. And I think there are far worse characters than him knocking around. And a lot of the people he attacks are worse than he is. That's, yeah, that's true. But I still think, like, if I try and kind of put myself in the position of the people of this world, I would be like, so this guy that the police have been unable to capture for all of this time is no longer on the streets. Fabulous. Yeah. Like, I would be. I would be. Very all all, happy all those, that. all those rapists and murderers can breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> law and order, Matt. Law and order. <laughs> well, that's the point, isn't it? There is no law and order in yeah, this in yeah, this in yeah. this city. And to be honest, he's kind of the only thing that passes for it, because it seems that even the sort of detectives are portrayed, and uh, even more so than the police, they're all portrayed pretty much as, as inept. So yeah. it's, there's that kind of void, and I, I suppose that's that's what's come to fill it are these sort of mentally unstable semi superheroes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, these people who are driven by a sense of justice that's greater than their sense of self preservation. Hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and you're right. I, I think there's a really interesting little vibe, but I, st- I still think I would have been like, lock him up and do your job properly. Do you know what I mean? Inst- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would have been my particular opinion of the um, of the, the Rorschach phenomenon. I think. Anyway, so um, so uh, a quick kind of skip through the the other news that happens. Russia's invaded Afghanistan, but I'm sure nothing will come of it. Storming a teacup, really, and <laughs> um, and um, and we get a we get a full face picture of Max Shea, who was one of the characters that was spoken about in that excerpt about the pirate. You know, the history of the pirate comic. Um, chapter before last, I think it was, um, is the writer of this pirate comic that we've been following along with as well. And he's, um, he's been missing for two years and, uh, the police have kind of, uh, stopped searching for him. Um, Chalk another one up for the, uh, for the dystopian police department. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. Um, but okay. From, from the, uh, from the ineptitude of the police, uh, to the success of physicists, um, turns out there's a there's something called the Institute for Extraspatial Studies, which are discovering <laughs> new ways to open new dimensions. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if that stuff's going to go wrong. 
<laughs> in, in a comic book like this, I'm sure what it's going to do is 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 herald the uh, the birth of a new era, powered by uh, cheap energy and mm. uh, peace for all mankind. Mm. We shall see. You reckon? <clears throat> we shall see. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, and then Dan and Laurie kind of they they get their thing on briefly. And uh, and while in the background, um, a TV special of Ozymandias, Adrian Veidt doing his thing for charity, um, plays. There's a, I think, quite deliberate juxtaposition here of this superhuman physique of Adrian Veidt and the fact that after a second, after some, some awkward, awkward repositioning and other attempts, Dan's like, I'm sorry, love, I haven't got it in me. You know, it's that sort of, it's that brewer's droop experience at the end of a long night's drinking, I imagine. Yeah. Um uh and so he's uh so he's 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 kind of he, he's he's not up for it quite literally. Yeah. I mean if every every sort of section of the commentary commentary on the guy's high pole whatever it's called attempts are sort of mirrored with what's going on in the room, aren't they? So it's yeah. almost like it's a comedy uh commentary of Dan just crashing and burning as well right right yeah. up to the the perfect dismount at the end which uh, <laughs> is perfect oh it's, it is isn't it this is the thing i really <laughs> this is a a particular strength of alan moore's um is his ability to 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 like to go into like really deep philosophy and write incredibly compelling well sketched characters but he's really not above the odd knob gag but he just does them so in such a sophisticated kind of sleight of hand way <laughs> Hmm. so entertaining um, but yeah you've got the gasps of the crowd being mirrored by uh, by the noises that these two are making on the sofa mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then, then so that, that doesn't work and everybody goes to sleep and then there's a dream sequence uh, <laughs> yeah bit of a weird dream sequence it's got to be said <laughs> this is the, the the woman in it at the start is the one who said that we, we missed this didn't we it's this mm. uh, this villain, this woman who was a, like a, uh, dressed up as a villain, mm. and in this really sort of outrageous costume. And she sent him a, she sent Dan like a, <laughs> a photograph. Photo herself. It was quite. I th- I quite like that. It showed it showed again yeah. this um, this weird kind of fraternity between the villains and the heroes at this time as well. You get a feeling yeah. that when this started, um, maybe even before the sort of second night out. It was a lot more of sort of a wholesome, fun kind of element to it. I'd imagine if you did a prequel, you could do it almost as a fun comic for sort of teenage, young teenagers or yeah. kids to read, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then it's just all gone horribly wrong at this stage. Well, clearly. Um, but and so Dan, Dan kind of starts off fantasizing about this this uh, former villain, um, and uh, takes her clothes off. As you do, and then uh, then she takes his skin off, but but it's still sexy for some reason. <laughs> and he's he's wearing his uh, his um, night owl costume, and then he takes her skin off, and it's Laurie dressed in her silk spectre costume. Mm. And then a nuclear bomb lands and obliterates the world and atomizes them both as they kiss. Um, standard sex dream, really, isn't it? We all had that one. Yeah. No. But I'd expect the moment of explosion 
That Laurie oh. may have <laughs> felt some, some dampness on her back there. Oh, like, Dan, oh, what are you doing? Do you know what? He Do does it what? again. I, Six panels on, he's, he's awake now. And, there it goes again. and it just happens again. <laughs> oh, oh, no, God. no. Again. <laughs> Oh, we've ruined you know this. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> it is actually, you know, it says quite interesting things about, like, themes about how these people need the costumes to sort of be who they are and who they really think they are. But also, we're not above making a uh, ejaculation gag, so apologies about that. <laughs> Two ejaculation gags there. And do you know what? Do you know what? I'm actually subtly proud of this because until you said that, I hadn't seen it. <laughs> I must have a purer subconscious than I ever imagined. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Dan, Dan, having exploded twice, decides to get up and go, go and get a glass of water. And <laughs> Cold shower. Or something. And, oh, God, Matt, have you seen what's over the page? Now you've made that gag. There's no. some sort of weird, vaguely see-through substance that's... <laughs> Splattered all over the window. <laughs> it's a condensation. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you see, now you've opened that. Opened yeah. that um, the genie's out of the bottle now. The genie's out of the bottle. I was, I was going to use the phrase Pandora's <laughs> box. I'm quite glad I didn't. Um, anyway, Dan goes downstairs and uh, puts on his goggles, butt naked, and just stands there looking at all of his stuff. And, um, and Laurie comes down. And uh, and and he he says he says it's the war, which is a good excuse, mm-hmm. um, making me feel so powerless, so impotent. He says, mm-hmm. um, and then then all joking apart, there is quite a nice little kind of character moment here where he's like he's got these goggles on. Earlier on, Laurie had said that they make her look like a fan of a band called Devo, mm-hmm. and um, and so and he kind of he has enough sense to laugh at himself and be like I guess I must look pretty Devo and she she laughs and what I loved about that moment was that even though it's pen and ink and words I can I can hear I can hear the laughter and it's a proper belly laugh <laughs> do you know what I mean like it's a real I got so much insight into those characters just out of one panel yeah it's a good joke yeah and there are some there are some just I don't know that's, I think that's one of the strengths of comic books. A lot of the time, it's just bearing all of this exposition and so on. And then there's one panel where you're like, kind of, oh man, I've really, you know, I have a deeper insight into the characters here than I would do if it was a film or a book. Hmm. Um, anyway, so um, so they they decide, you know, it's dark, it's late, neither of them can sleep. Why don't we get dressed up in our old costumes and go out on the town? Hmm. Um, which is certainly better than a couple of horlicks, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go out and um, and they find, as if by chance, um, a building that's on fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no fire brigade around. There's nobody to be seen out on the streets. And <laughs> um, uh, and they rescue this whole bunch of people. And I realise that this is we're halfway well. We're more than halfway through this book now. And this is the first time that we've seen some. We've seen a costumed adventurer do the sort of things that we watched costumed adventurers do week in week out you know i'm thinking about like thunderbirds and that sort of thing you know Mm. like that kind of spider-man everybody gets one kind of thing you know your friendly neighborhood spider-man um just helping people out we haven't seen any of that yet. rorschach stops a rape doesn't he that's true there we go that's true 
That's I really must stop treating Rorschach like he is just a psycho. As you say, <laughs> the people he beats up are horrible people. So, yeah. so, so it's a wash. Um, uh, but, um, I, quite, I quite like how in the saving the people from the burning building, um, <clears throat> Dryberg makes sure he stays at the controls. Because yeah. uh, you, you can imagine, <laughs> imagine turn off the flamethrower, Laurie. You're just making it worse. <laughs> 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 it's like she just completely stops paying attention to what's happened in the last six hours and she's just like oh this is a bit tense this I need a fag here we go come on <sighs> oh shit oh god I've done it again oh no oh you'll never let me come out again <laughs> that's it they save them all they drop them all off they're all sort of milling about in front of, in front of the ship and Laurie goes oh I need a cigarette I love it Bosh. when a plan comes together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Dryberg does handle that situation with quite a lot of um, delicacy, doesn't he? He doesn't actually say, do you know what? I'm just going to just gonna stand next to the controls the whole time. Just um, don't touch anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they get all of these people out. Um, not before Dryberg takes a moment whilst sitting in his airship looking at a building full of people who are in danger of death and taking a moment to admire Laurie's legs because she's in her costume and that's that's woken him up. Yeah, uh, that is the least practical superhero costume I've ever seen. It's a cracking costume, <laughs> don't get me wrong. But uh, you'd expect it's more suited to like a night out than uh, yeah. It's I can't really see how it's yeah. I yes, I agree with you there. I, I in fact, sorry, I'm just looking at it closely. I think it's see through. I think she's basically wearing like a sort of well, a sort of woman's version of a mankini. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you call that. Mm. Covered in what seems to be yellow chiffon. Yeah. I mean, I. You know what. If that's what your empowerment looks like, then go to it. But I've got to say, <laughs> yeah, it's, it feels impractical to me. I do think know? what I do think one of the weaknesses of Watchmen is portrayal of women. Is it it kind of struggles a bit with? Yeah, which is really interesting because I think it. I think like Alan Moore as an author is. I mean, he was he was right at the forefront of gender equality campaigning in the eighties, like during the Thatcher administration, where that stuff was by no means kind of a given mm-hmm. in um, in society and in legislation and so on. Um, but you're right, actually. I think, I mean, I, in a sense, this isn't my condemnation to make, but I kind of want to call it. I'm like, just because it's Alan Moore, I don't want to give him a free pass. I think the way that women are treated in this is a, is just, I don't know, it's just not terribly different to mm. how they would be treated in other comic books. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'd, struggle to, I'd struggle to put forward a strong female character in the book, to be honest. Um, Look, well, Laurie, this is interesting, Laurie, is Laurie, Laurie seems like some one of those kind of characters who stuff happens to, rather than... Uh, yeah, yeah, do you know what? I think that's, a, that's an excellent description of her character. I mean, at least that's not just a function of the fact that she's a woman. You know, that's a function of the way mm. she was brought up and the expectations of her mother and, and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but actually, yeah, now you mention it, Laurie's, Laurie's it for kind of rounded female protagonists. Mm. And she is well-rounded. She's well-sketched, I think. But I agree that she is more of a... She's more affected than affecting. 
mm. in the world. Um, yeah, I don't know, that's interesting. Anyway, so um, so uh, so they get these people off. They take them down. They keep their costumes on, and then they get their costumes off. <laughs> yeah. um, and 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 finally, finally, Dan's ready to go to it, and and all he needed, and and we've all been here, gents, haven't we? Haven't we all been here? All we needed to do was dress up like an owl, and uh, <laughs> and the libido would come galloping right back. <laughs> very, very weird, but not as weird as the fact that, that it's got a great, it's cracking ending line. This uh, this particular chapter, <laughs> they're talking about stuff. <laughs> and um, and Dan Dan's idea of pillow talk is to say, I think we should break Rorschach out of jail. <laughs> yeah, at this moment though, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Time to cowboy up. <laughs> By the way, Let's can, can do I just do it? <laughs> the the page before the last. Um, oh yeah, <clears throat> just at the bottom pane. Oh Matt, must you? <laughs> if you no, can't, it's it's not. I actually think that's actually done a lot better. Um, but anyway, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you if if you're not reading along with us, the the bottom pane is a picture of Dan Dryberg's owl ship with a long stream of white something shooting out the front of it. It's a flame, isn't it? It's a um, no. It's well, yeah, because no, because they're, they're hiding themselves in cloud. Yeah, but her elbow catches the flamethrower button and the flame shoots out. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not what I meant. I didn't mean it was... <laughs> yeah, no wonder you just, groaned. <laughs> I, yeah, well, exactly. I didn't think you were making a, a nice callback to a previous occurrence. I thought you would just be like, hey, Dave, hey, Dave, more ejaculation gags here. <laughs> well, both work, I suppose. Well, both both work indeed. It's it's a complex, multi layered narrative, yeah. with dense with illusions. Um, <laughs> Got a question and for you? Knob gags. Yeah. Did you read all of Blood from the Shoulder of Pallas? The Do you know what the you know four what, the four page study of owls. <laughs> Do you know, it's not just a study of owls, though, is it? <laughs> no, it's I'm, a passionate I'm, plea from a guy who believes that we shouldn't really study owls at all, but that we should just get really, really emotional about them. So it's not even a study. There's not even facts in it. There's just a guy going, the feathers, the talons, the wings. Yeah. I, I, I'll be honest. This, this here is really interesting that this time through, all of this extra information, I'm like... I'm becoming more and more frustrated with or, or less and less engaged by, right? Like, mm. I tried. I tried. But honestly, I see no outcome of this this excerpt at all except to establish the fact that Dan is really into owls. Yeah. And since he dresses up as one, <laughs> right, well into his 40s, we might already have guessed that. <laughs> But no, no, for, 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 oh, fuck. Honestly. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I thought it was, it, it's basically just to show that he's a bit of a deep thinker as well, isn't it? And he can get so yeah, much juice yeah, out of just a memory of a of an owl swooping down and killing something when he was a child. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, <laughs> i got to admit, I did come to it. I looked at the first page. And then flicked just to see how long it was, and was a little, <laughs> a, a, little, a little dismayed to find it was four pages long. But 
Did you, know, did you read it? A... Did you persevere? I did, yeah. And it was a, a, a fairly nice change of pace, I suppose, from the... Because uh, when you... Obviously, the thing about graphic novels are when you're in the main bits, they are very fast-moving. Yeah, and these yeah. these parts are actually quite nice. So you, as a way of just slowing down and just meandering through a, the, a bit of the story or a bit more depth to some of the story before you're off again on some more plot. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. Um, well, we, we, you know, we have slowed down quite enough, I think, with yeah. four pages uh, about owls. And then the blood drips down and the clock, Matt, the song. Oh, <laughs> what, what, what's, what, what's the time? 5-2? Five, 5-2. Two. Five, two. I got five on it. Yes. yes. I don't know. There's no the rest of the words. Do you remember that? Who sang that? I, I got I five be- on it. Couldn't begin to tell you. It might be R. Kelly. If if it is R. Kelly, that's the first time R. Kelly's made an appearance <laughs> in any books podcast anywhere <laughs> in the world. I think we should do an audio mix at the end of this once we've finished. Of all, all the different songs. songs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan of that. Like a little YouTube mix. Fantastic. <laughs> right, right. Okay, now, next chapter. Chapter eight. Yeah. And we go from Silk Spectre 2 and Night Owl 2. We go back to the originals and they're on the phone together. Mm. Apparently, um, uh, the last night's rescue was all over the news and nobody seems to have worked out who it was. But, but they know. They mm. know. And... Um, then uh, and it's it's all of this chapter is taking place during Halloween, mm. so it's called Old Ghosts, and I just like that. I I think like it's a nice little piece of setting theme tying the whole thing together. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Throughout yeah. the whole thing. Anyway, then we're uh, we're back on the streets and we've got more portentous stuff happening to the people of New York, and we've got more from Gothic John Sparrow in the <laughs> uh, in, the, <laughs> in the, the Black Freighter. Um, and um, uh, and then oh, there's a there's, down- a there's a timeline shift again here, isn't there? Because the uh, this with the psychiatrist here again, and he's buying his paper. And oh Dr- yeah, he's Dumbling. back out on the streets. Yeah, yeah. Remember yeah. in the chap- two chapters ago now, the psychiatrist yeah. remembers how the guy in the newsstand was so excited at the fact that Roshark used to come and buy his new frontiersman from him. And we actually mm. see the conversation here. So it's, I quite like that. Again, it's just it's just slowly layering these uh, experiences on top of one another, isn't it? It keeps going back slightly to tell you what each person was doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And um, and it is, a, it is a very, very rich world in a way that we're, I think we can't really dig into enough when we're kind of, when we're doing a podcast kind of review like this. Um, but you're right. Uh, that's one of the things, like the, the the kind of overlapping narratives, and one of the things that makes it so easy to enjoy um, as a book and go back and read again and again. Um, and uh, next up, we're with we're with Dan Dryberg working on what must have been a realistic computer for the time, which is about <laughs> the size of a semi-detached house in the suburbs. <laughs> um, but he's getting his Batman on. He's uh, he's doing some detective work, right? And um, uh, as it turns out, you remember the thing that caused Doctor Manhattan to leave Earth in the first place back in Chapter Three, mm-hmm. Chapter Two even was um, uh, was he was kind of getting hassled by this newspaper guy called Doug Roth about um, uh, about the fact that all the people that had worked with him over the years had contracted cancer, 
Um, as it turns out, all of those people also worked for a, a company who um, uh, who kind of own. Uh, sorry, hang on a sec. All of those people work for a particular company. And we don't know who this company is, but there is a slight suggestion here that possibly Dr. Manhattan was kind of hounded off the planet rather than, you know, like it was kind of the thing that made him leave was kind of an invention or a um, a, a creation or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so we have that. Uh, we have their ongoing plans to uh, bust Rorschach out of jail. And... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's where we go next. We see Rorschach in solitary confinement, where he has. Did Did you enjoy this? This This he has this banter with this like very diminutive underworld Uber <laughs> yeah. boss. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> Absolutely amazing, isn't it? You've got like so. This guy's called Big Figure, right? And he, he looks to be about four foot ten, and. Um, <laughs> He's flanked by these two classic, classic muscle henchmen kind of yeah. faces don't even fit in the frame. <laughs> yeah, two goons. Two goons. <laughs> and it's it's absolutely amazing. The first one is he walks up to Rorschach and says it's been a long time, and Rorschach says Big figure, small world. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get many moments where Rorschach cracks out one liners like that, do we? But um but when they do they're absolutely worth it yeah. because because um, then there's a bit where he says so big figure kind of gets into all of his um, all of his uh, kind of threatening classic I run this prison kind of threatening yeah. behavior uh, he says that the guy who uh, Rorschach covered in hot fat the other day he's going to die soon and that when he dies that will kind of spark a riot and um, yeah in in the prison. Um, and then, then he says, Rorschach, you're going to die by inches. And Rorschach doesn't even look forwards. He just goes, tall order. Oh, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, the thing I love about that is the expression on the guy's face when he says it. Yeah, that's just a masterpiece, isn't it? It's like, you rat fucking bastard, I'm going <laughs> to... Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um... But yeah, I didn't, I didn't, again, one thing I didn't get from this before was that um, it was Rorschach who put Big Figure away, Mm. um, like 20 years back when he was working with Dryberg. So there's kind of, there's some bad blood to get worked out there, but Rorschach just seems incredibly calm through all of this. And you do have a sense of kind of a gathering storm in him, don't you? Mm. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be at all worried. Like, I don't know if, obviously he's very he plays it cold, doesn't he? You don't know what he's feeling really from this point mm. of view. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought it was interesting compared to when he gets caught, when he's in the house and he's panicking there and you can see him panicking and mm. he's going like, oh, stupid, stupid, shouldn't I get caught? I've got to get away, I've got to get away. And um, and he, f- I don't know, that's the only time that compared to, because he's in an even worse situation here, but you really sense the panic and fear before and you don't know. I just wonder mm. whether that's, sort of shows a bit about what he respects and what he doesn't Rorschach is any he, he sort of he 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 doesn't oh. even, he doesn't fear any of these any of these sort of criminals but he did think he was going down when he was trapped in the house I don't know that's very interesting actually yeah because he kind of didn't know who, I I mean he's kind of set up for 
fights and quick acts of brutal violence. He's not set up for like a war. And mm. he was being, you know, in, in the house, there, you know, there were like squadrons of police coming after him. Mm. Um, and, you know, it is really interesting that he, when he's in the, when he's in jail, that's not really terribly troubling to him. And in fact, um, Dan says something really interesting in the next chapter where he says, um, oh, in this chapter, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. he says, um, where he says, this is, this is Rorschach's world. He lives here all the time. Hmm. So I, I really love that as like, as a piece of insight. Like Rorschach's not worried about prison at all. It just means there's a higher concentration of people who deserve the justice that he's put on the earth to hand out. It's like when, um, is it in the, the, the last chapter we saw him in where when he throws the fat over that guy, he says, mm. I'm not locked in here with you. You're all locked in here with me. Yeah. And that's very much his sort of whole approach, isn't it? What a great line as well, by the <laughs> yeah, way. It's good, like, it's there's a lot of fantastic lines that come out in this writing. Hmm. You know, quite apart from Rorschach's attempt to be the next compare at the Copa. Like, <laughs> like just, you know, just all of those things to kind of describing the world and describing what they think. Um... Anyway, uh, the next scene is we've got um, Dan kind of getting shaken down by the police and um, real classic Columbo stuff, but it doesn't really work on Dan. Dan's not about to give anything away. But um, at the end of the scene, he says, um, you know, suddenly we have a deadline. Like, you know, this this policeman's worked out who I am and he's worked Mm. out what I'm likely to do. Mm. And so we have to do it quickly. Otherwise, otherwise they're going to move to stop us, you know. Yeah, another another win for the police, isn't it? I wonder what's behind this locked door. Oh, nothing. Oh, okay. I'll see you <laughs> All later. All right, then. <laughs> when, I when, lost when the key, actually, I'm afraid. Yeah, the first time I looked at this, when he said that, I thought he's off to get back up and he's coming back. But it turns out later on he wasn't, was he? He was just going to leave it. <laughs> just just no. says it all, doesn't it? And actually, that's one of the best lines as well. Like, um, that's another absolutely classic line when they raid his house, raid Dryberg's house, and he's not there. Um, they walk through the, you know, all of the kind of leftover equipment, and the guy who kind of made this mistake goes, "I'll be damned," and his colleague just looks at him and goes, "Oh, sure, at the very least." <laughs> yeah, which also actually, line. when I, when I was reading that bit, I, th- I felt even I, f- I thought even less of his colleague who hadn't even got to the stage where he was going visiting anybody and he's going oh you're in trouble now you're in trouble you're for it now i thought oh yeah you, you're you're both a couple of useless wankers the pairing yeah that's the presentation of the police in this book isn't it it is um and then we get then we get a really interesting little intercut of um uh dan and laurie getting ready to to go out on the town um, mm. with two settings and characters that we haven't seen before. The first one is the New Frontiersman, um, which we're going to get more of later, but is this is this newspaper that Rorschach loves and which seems to be very set on defending him, um, but which others have described as being Nazi. And um, we have to say that the editor does not express himself in the most tolerant and temperate of terms. Mm. Um, in this, and we're only going to get more of this actually later on this chapter. Um, but anyway, so we see that there's this, the new frontiersmen are kind of involved and, um, uh, and interested in, in kind of what's going on. Um, the other scene is this guy, Max Shea, this writer who police have just stopped looking for. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, he's alive. And, um, 
and on an island and having a conversation with uh, an artist who's sketching something truly awful, it looks like. <laughs> like, fucking hell. Like, what the hell is that? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. Hmm. Sorry, were you going to say something? No, I was just, yeah, it's, there's not really much to say at that point, is there? It's just, it's yeah. a weird thing just to suddenly drop in and then it disappears without a trace. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, this ties back to what Blake, you know, that rant that, that um, the comedian had in yeah. um, in uh, Moloch's flat, where, you know, there's an island and all of these writers and stuff. So clearly this is what's going on. But why the sketching of something, which appears to be real, this isn't like this weird image of something that looks like a squid with an afro. Um <laughs> That's true. Squidward with an afro. Another potential title for this one, by the way. Um, Squidward with an afro. Um, but it seems to be real. Like, they're talking about, like, I hope they keep it refrigerated and stuff. It's like, mercy mm. of God. Um, and, uh, and, and, yeah, but then we just kind of move on from that. But so it's not clear to me how, at this point, that thing is, threatens, you know, was enough to send the comedian crazy, this guy who spent his entire time killing people all over the world in a very amoral way. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't really... I, I don't understand how that's going to tie in, but we'll see. Um, and, uh, and then we get somebody making a jack-o'-lantern whilst listening to an argument. For some reason, the news reports are very interested in a, a spat between two opposing newspapers, which I find a little bit questionable. You know, mm. it's like BBC News leading with the fact that The Telegraph and The Guardian leader writers tend to disagree politically. Mm. Well, yes, you know. Yeah. So, what did you so think the, of that? yeah, it's it's this it's setting up this conflict between these. So we've we've heard a lot about the new frontiersmen, haven't we? Mm. Um, which is the one that is on the trying on the side of these of Roshark and Co. Mm. And it seems this other what's the other one called? The Nova Express. The Nova Express, yeah. And that seems to be the... That's the lefty one, isn't it? And it's accused of being commie sympathisers. And it turns out these are the guys who are uh, accused of effectively chasing Manhattan off because they were the guys who did the interview. Do you remember when he got all upset and disappeared? That Mm -hmm. was was them. So, yeah, Yeah. it's the two big beasts of uh, of media in this world, isn't it? Just going at it. And I suppose the thing that the thing that makes it news is that they're they're trying to give two different explanations to why there's this global crisis at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And fair enough. I mean, I suppose you can spin a news story out of that. But I I don't think the new frontiersman is a big deal. You go back one page and when they're putting it together, he's using paste. You know, he's putting it together like newspapers were put together in the 50s. Mm. Like, so it's not exactly the sort of, you know, like a slightly, it's, it's, I was tempted to call it a more, like, a, like I described Rorschach, a more feral version of the Daily Mail, but it's not that really, it's more like, more like a sort of BNP fundraising layer. Mm. Um, anyway, so, um, so we, we kind of have that thing and, uh, then we have a scene from, uh, from the streets and uh, and gothic John Sparrow's voiceover going on in the background, and he's properly lost it. He thinks he's talking to these dead bodies that his raft is made out of at this point. Mm. Um, and everybody on the streets is um, very, very afraid. Um, and then we cut back to the prison, where where the riot has started, and Big Figure is 
just looking forward, <laughs> just in, just having a whale of a time, isn't he? He describes yeah. it as so, being... so, summed up in that first picture of him with the cigar, looking like it, looking like a pig in shit. It looks absolutely yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> Amazing, yeah, it is. He, he describes, oh, it's awful. He says Thanksgiving's early this year. Everybody gets a piece of turkey. It's just that I get to carve. Hmm. Oh, 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 it's horrible. And there is proper riot going on outside Rorschach's solitary cell, right? Mm. Anybody else in this situation, I think, would be terrified, and justifiably so. Rorschach, he doesn't give a shit. These guys, one guy sticks his hand through the bars to try and strangle him, turns round, ties together his, ties together this guy's pinky fingers and just breaks him then and there. Mm. And then this guy is killed by his own people for being in the way. Mm. Um, now, as horrifying as this was, does that make any sense to you at all? Because you kill him, he's still in the bars, isn't he? Like, it's not like <laughs> yeah. you can move out of the way. <laughs> yeah, when you think about it, it does. It makes no sense, does it? It makes no sense. Well, I mean, you know, entertainingly gothic, to be sure. Um, but, um, and then, so this guy, this fella gets his throat cut, and um, Rorschach gets covered in this plume of his blood doesn't even blink hmm. um and then uh and and we see you know all the time we're cutting between what's going on and dan Laurie approaching uh in this airship this owl ship hmm. um and this is where we find out what the screeches are for um in case <laughs> you were wondering if they were subs- if it was just a particularly dramatic name for the sound system that he used before uh, <laughs> That would have been great. Turn on the screeches. <laughs> I'm cruising with my screeches arm. <laughs> if I now the, the bad thing about this is that that's made me laugh enough that if I ever get a proper big sound system in my car, I'm going to call it the screech. <laughs> <laughs> and then play mostly bass music. <laughs> We're definitely doing that next time you're back. Drive around. <laughs> crank up the screeches. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it is. Right? It, it does turn this... This scene is awesome if you imagine that's what the screeches are doing. <laughs> <laughs> There's about one particular panel where everybody's like, Oh, my ears! God, I've heard this drum and bass so many times. <laughs> Ooh, only for the, only for the, only for the hardcore UK raver. <laughs> Excellent. Right. And it's not that. It's just screeches. It's a way of freaking people out. And I have to say, at this point, I'm starting to feel like Dan Dryberg is a bit more of a badass than you're giving him credit for. Because mm. he, he's, he's flying into a prison during a riot, getting shot at and using nothing but a particularly souped up sound system in return. Yeah, um, breaking through windows, running through this jail, all of that. Like, is this not a little bit more impressive to you? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, he's got the superhero side down, hasn't he? To be honest, the I think it just adds to this, uh, this contrast between what he's like in real life and what he's like when he puts that suit on. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Actually, the suit is everything, isn't it? it despite the fact that it's also basically a Halloween costume. Never mind that. <laughs> it is the least cool looking of all the suits. It is, it? isn't it? Actually, with one exception, 
Night Owl One. <laughs> <laughs> he managed That's to true. take the worst. At least, to be to be fair to him, at least he's improved on what he had before. Yeah, that that is true, but that is a little bit like a recently relegated football club managing to scrape survival in the lower division, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> anyway, um, the next step is that we're um, we're in Rorschach's cell, and uh, they've got the arc welder out to break open break open the cage, and um, <laughs> uh, they break open the cage, and Rorschach gets up on his bed, and um, uh, and and this looks like a, a somewhat kind of overly defensive move on his part, mm. uh, but it's not. He's just getting off the floor because what he does next is kick his toilet in, so water covers the floor and the feet of the guy who were tr- who's trying to attack him with the active arc welder, mm. and electrocutes him, and he lies there dead, and all the lights go off, mm. and and vicious, isn't it? Like mm. like just 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 merciless just this is what I'm going to do this is the way it's going to be look he's dead did that mm-hmm. absolutely it's just merciless and then and then there's there's some more great facial expressions from Big Figure there's, <laughs> there's three panels across the bottom of that, that page where he first of all he looks oh shit <laughs> and then he looks oh he's fucking dead and then he turns his back and absolutely pegs it <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and yeah, you know, Rorschach says two nil, and that's completely unarguable. He's absolutely bossed that. Mm. Um, and uh, we um, <laughs> and then in t- I, I love I love that through the middle of this riot come what's basically the nice middle aged couple of superheroes, right? Dan and Laurie. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're on the move. They're doing that classic superhero thing as well of chatting as they're beating people up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which well, is like, giving it's a, us the, it's like a trope, isn't it? Yeah, giving us the exposition as they beat people up as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've got to explain how I'm finding my way through this environment. I don't really know why. <laughs> uh, but there are readers somewhere. So, um, uh, but one thing Dryberg says, which I think is really interesting, he says, um, meeting Rorschach recently, it's like he wants to make friends without knowing how, as if the gap between us were narrowing. And... I, you know what? I reckon you could search for a long time to find another comic book with that sort of nuanced kind mm. of character where you, you write one character who can realistically be friends with a total psycho character but kind of care about him enough to try and decipher his kind of inner motivations and be inclined to kind of care about them and, and help him get what he needs. Yeah. You know? So they've broken into the prison here because he's like, Rorschach needs a friend. What an incredible thing to say when the world is ending. Yeah, and I think it's also um, he's painted. They've painted uh, Rorschach quite well as well, where you mm. can you can kind of believe that that he he is sort of kind of trying to the fact that he's coming round to Dryberg's house a couple of times where he didn't really need to. He is kind of in a in his sort of weird way trying to reach out slightly, but he just has no idea how to do it because he's just. Yeah, he, yeah. He's not exactly a man with many social skills, this bloke, is he? The guy who sticks <laughs> no, on the road. No, he's, he's got extraordinary skills for punching people in the face, but if he's not allowed to do that, he doesn't really know what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so so they find him, um, and uh, and they're all like, hey, Rorschach, we're here to get you out. And he doesn't even turn around and look at them <laughs> because he's chasing big figure um, into the toilets. 
And I love this bit because 10 years before, or eight years, whatever, before Jurassic Park, this is a proper Jurassic Park when you've got to go, you've got to go moment. <laughs> and they have this discussion of how impractical it is to try and, you know, go for a slash while you're wearing a superhero costume. <laughs> so I just love the idea of this, what this raises is the possibility of a superhero costume, which is kind of like those classic onesies with the flap over the arse, where you unburn it. <laughs> Do your stuff, button yourself back up again. Job done. <laughs> An owl onesie, basically, is what it is, isn't it? I bet it's really nice and warm and fuzzy on the inside as well, but you can just fall asleep in it. Um, And uh, so then Rorschach comes out of the toilets having, it would seem, drowned big figure um, in the toilet. And, um, and, uh, and then they break out. They go back to Dan's. They get a load of, they get all of his shit, and they're they're kind of getting ready to to leave town for good. There's a lot of impending doom, and then Bosch, Bosch, up comes the ex boyfriend returns the ex boyfriend <laughs> with the omnipotent powers, <laughs> and that's got to be the mother and father of all awkward conversations, isn't it? Just sort of like ah, uh, uh, John, hi. Hi, gosh. Man, I thought you were on Mars. Um, yeah, your girlfriend's here. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> like, how do you go on having that conversation? Mm. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? And uh, yeah. it's kind of just, he turns up and he's like, yeah, so we're off to Mars. So uh, see you later. And then that's kind of that. <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot of discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he definitely does act like the big blue swinging dick here, doesn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's definitely that's definitely his role at this point. And um, uh, you know, kind of, there's this weird sort of. Um, John turns up. Laurie goes away with John, presumably to Mars. Um, and all the time, the police are hammering the door down and stuff. And um, uh, then um, Dryberg and Rorschach um run away and yet then we, then we've got the return of the most useless police in the history of the world yeah um he just said i made a mistake i thought a warning would be enough <laughs> well it wasn't was it let's be honest um and and then we're back on the street we've got more of uh gothic john sparrow yeah and uh uh and he's Lanto! kind of yeah, yeah, that's great. He's a, I, I actually thought this was really well done, where he sort of jumps off, he decides to drown, mm. leaps feet first into what he calls the horror, meaning mm. the sea, and he can't sink. And it takes him some time to realise that that's because he's standing on the land. <laughs> For a moment, he's like kind of, why aren't I sinking? And it's classic. It's, it's Arrested Development. <laughs> it's that episode where he tries to pull off the trick of like walking on the water and then somebody catches on fire and they throw him in the water and he won't go underneath. <laughs> Why am I not going underwater? <laughs> exactly that. And um uh and it ends on a real kind of down note this one because the next the, you know while we've got this narrative um of the of the pirate comic book we've got these people from the street scene deciding to go and beat up the original night owl because they know who he is and they know where he is and there's this i thought it was a great evocation this of that kind of mob mentality Mm. of like clearly your problem at this time is not the retired superhero down the block 
right? Well, well, they they're they're going after him because they think he broke out Roshark. Because because they say it's 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 this night elder guy who's broken him out, and they go, oh, I know where he lives, and they go oh, and do him yeah. in, and it's um so it's it's a case of mistaken identities, which is anything else. They just well, don't yeah, but realize it's absurd different... mistaken identity, isn't it? Like yeah. it, it's totally absurd mistaken identity because it's it, the idea that a man this elderly who's staying inside on Halloween to give kids sweets as they come around trick-or-treating, has somehow absconded for a couple of hours, gone and broken into a jail, broken out a guy from the middle of a riot and taken him away again. Mm. Like, like that's... I just think that sort of, you know, the... Um, what, what's that thing supposed to be? The, um, the, the intelligence of a crowd is the square root of the number of people in it? Yeah. Um, and you can... I, I think you can really see that here, you know, like, there's this kind of enormous tension, stress and stress and fear, and they go and work out on an old guy and kill him in mm. the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's really sad that uh, there's this real bittersweet part of it as well where the panels are interchanging between him being attacked and sort of him back in the day fighting all these people off with yeah. a smile on his face. Yeah, and it's sort of just a just a sad comment on sort of how things have changed, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And everybody gets old, I guess. Mm. Um, but anyway, so that's the end of the chapter, and we've got and then we've got the new frontiersman, Matt, from mm. which I believe it would be in, unwise of us to quote. I was <laughs> I was going to try and get a line that summed up the like total honey crusted nut bar. Mm. approach of this particular newspaper um but i just i just can't i can't find one that i'm comfortable reading aloud yeah (laughs) describing um the people who disagree with them as coked up commie cowards (laughs) Uh, yeah but that's quite fun it's quite funny that it it starts off and then you the, the couple of things are written and you think that's a bit that's a bit weird. And then as yeah. far as, as you move on, it gets worse and worse and you realise, yeah, this is a this is a outrageous publication, isn't it? Uh, I, I yeah. love that I lo- this is another great example of how Alan Moore is able to have fun with words rather than using them in a realistic way. Because the the guy who writes this kind of ranting screed, his first name is actually Hector. And I just flip in love with that. Like he's like, just, the you know the child comes out and his parents look down at him and go, "Well, he looks like he's going to be a right wing nutcase." <laughs> Call him Hector. <laughs> um, and uh, and you know, so you just get this image of um, uh, classic classic old style editorial cartoon filled with utterly libelous hate speech, mm. um, <laughs> equating communism. Russians, Jews, and Italians. Uh, I just, it's just astounding. Just absolutely, ast- anyway. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then we get the thing which I think we're really supposed to read, right? Which is a story that says, missing writer, vanished persons list grows as hunt call, hunt called off. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of leads me to the, you know, so what they're arguing here is that, you know, he's probably not lost. We should find him. Mm. Um, which leads me, since we know that this character's alive, are we being invited to be on the side of the new frontiersman here? Because I think that's quite a difficult get. Mm. What do you think? 
yeah, I suppose it's probably an element of that, you know, broken clocks tells the right time twice a day still. You know, the, hmm. if you print enough news, no matter how rubbish you are at it, eventually you'll come across something that's true. Um, <laughs> and this appears to be the case, isn't it? These, This dreadful rag of a publication seems to be the only the only piece of journalism anywhere at the moment that's still sort of trying to piece these missing artists together. That's in, which is quite interesting. That is but, a very interesting parallel that I hadn't thought of, though. Like, like in this world, you support the vigilantes because the cops are so useless, and in this world, the only paper that's getting it factually correct hmm. is is this horrible right-wing screed. Um, and they're both more indictments of their world than they are saviours of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, and... Uh, I, I suppose you know. I suppose even even a, they say even a stop clock is is right twice a day. Um, yeah. And speaking of clocks, Matt, it's mm. it's four minutes to midnight. Sing. Oh, uh, <laughs> four to the floor. I was sure. Yes. Da, 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 da. Well, who was that? Who sang that? Uh, Star Sailor. Star Star Sailor. Star Sailor. Yeah. yeah. Classic. Four to the floor. Yeah. It always it struck me slightly weird that that, that a, a you know such a Coldplay esque indie pop band indie rock band wrote a song that was named after like a particularly forthright form of club music. Anyway, um, uh, chapter nine, mm. chapter nine is it, and um, we we're, we're back on Mars, or as as it the role it plays in this book is uh, the planet of deep philosophical shit. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're back with the raid on on Dryberg's apartment and Laurie and John teleporting out there. <laughs> John, for saying that he's travelled several thousand miles to um, uh, to get Laurie to come back, really is not terribly considerate on a human level because he forgets for quite a long time, long enough for her to choke and fall down the slope, that she doesn't have any oxygen because it's Mars. Mm. Um, and there's a great line for that, like really underscoring the fact that he's, you know, he's becoming less and less human as time goes on. He says, "Sometimes these things slip my mind." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just the, you know, the the fripperies, the the non-essentials, air stuff like that doesn't really care. Yeah, well, it's just it's because he's just he's losing that humanity, isn't he? An all sense of it. Yeah, ab- absolutely. But we're back at we're back at. I don't know. Can we call this? Can we call this pimp? This particular, is it a pimp crib or do we need to come up with some other kind of nomenclature for it? This weird glass cog spike looking fortress. <laughs> no, pimp crib sounds good to me. It's, it's, it, is the, it is a pimp crib. <laughs> um, um, and uh, and they get right into a conversation. John, One of John's opening gambits is, um, uh, we're on Mars. It is here that we debate Earth's destiny. Mm-hmm. So no pressure, Laurie. Yeah, like, he's basically saying, convince me why I should save the world, at the moment, I don't really think it's worth me bothering with. Yeah, and I thought this conversation I actually really liked because it's, it is a rare writer who can kind of bring you to the point of having this kind of explicit conversation about the worth or lack thereof of the world. Hmm. without making it sound quite ham-fisted. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought it was really good, this. 
Yeah, but he's invested you in the characters to the point that you you're kind of like not only do you are you intrigued by the philosophy, but you're not just reading a kind of um, a philosophy essay with characters on it. You know, mm. you've got like this proper depth to it. Um, so he st- he starts off with a few classics like "We're all puppets." I'm just a puppet who can see the strings. Mm. Yeah. yeah, got that out of a fortune cookie there. I feel. <laughs> um, but I have to say, like, like even though the characters have brought me to this point, I am interested in it, and it's pulling me through philosophy in a good way. I have to say that the way he acts in this, I don't really understand how Doctor Manhattan kind of functions. Like, we've got this stuff with his emotion, right? Mm. But like. He seems to be because he, he they have this weird exchange where he says you're going to tell me that Dan you, that you're sleeping with Dan Dryberg, mm. and she goes okay, and then a few minutes later she just talks about it as though he already knows because to her he does, and he goes wait you're sleeping with Dryberg, and he's like and he says you know this kind of severs my last link with the planet, mm. and um, I'm like it's a I don't know, it just feels a bit... If I if I skip over it, it's fine. But if I think about it, I'm like, what, so you knew but you didn't know and you experienced the emotion in the moment even though you already knew it was going to happen? Like, hmm. you know, I just don't... It kind of dumped me out a, of the character a little bit. It's a paradox, isn't it? And it's, yeah. it's what you get when you take people out of time. You inevitably come into these things. Hmm. And, yeah, it's the fact that he's almost split, isn't he? He can. It's like he's like we said before. It's like he's fallen out of the book, and mm-hmm. he can flick ahead. But you know, he can flick ahead and see the pains where he's shocked, but mm. he can't change it. Mm. So, you know, he's 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 being at the same time as he's saying, "You're going to shock me with this information." He's being shocked with the information later on. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't and and, see, and he, he can't change he can't change the future he just knows what's going to happen but at the same time because he knows surely the future changes but yeah. it doesn't so yeah. I, su- I suppose the only way of uh, the way some philosophers try and explain that is through multiple universes and that things yeah. are shooting off at a tangent and what we're reading here would be one version of one one version of events and then another one where he already knows it's going to happen it shoots off in another direction, but we're just following a different path. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a paradox. <laughs> and you're absolutely you're right. Wrong, you're not wrong there, Matt. It. <laughs> I, so my thing is, would he not be experiencing the emotion earlier then? If he knows it's going to happen and he still functions on that emotional level, you know, if he's already, if he's, if he's experiencing everything at the same time, should he not just kind of end up curled up in a ball experiencing everything he's ever going to experience? No, because he just knows he's experiencing it late. He's going to experience it later, but no one's told him yet, so he can't experience it yet. Weird. So he's not experiencing it. He just knows that sometime in the future he's going to experience it. Oh, so his perspective on <laughs> so you're saying his perspective it works because his perspective on time is it's not really him seeing it, or he only sees it with his intellect. Like he is dispassionately yeah. factual until it happens. And exactly. That's where his emotions become true. That's very interesting, actually. That kind of that kind of cuts that knot in half. I quite like that. Um, that helps. Cool. I think I think we kind of both arrived at that somehow. But, yeah. <laughs> Teamwork, Matt. Teamwork is what <laughs> yeah. it is. Right. So um, so we're back in Flashback City. And, uh, and we've got some of Laurie's kind of earliest memories. Um, her, 
her parents, her mum and dad, um, her dad being the, the greasy bastard that we saw in one of the excerpts before, <laughs> um, arguing about something. And I think it's it's kind of fairly clear that she's talking about Blake here, hmm. but only because I've read it much more closely this time. Because hmm. she says, um, it's different for him. I just couldn't sustain the anger. Um, and she's kind of explaining this ambivalent at best attitude that she's displayed towards this guy who so far, you know, the only piece of their relationship we've seen is that he tried to rape her. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I one doesn't really know what to make of that. Laurie certainly doesn't know what to make of that. And, um, and it's kind of, uh, she's caught eavesdropping on her parents. Um, and, uh, uh, and kind of, she talks a little bit about how she likes kind of gentler guys like Dan compared to these kind of very domineering types like her brother. Mm. Um, and that's where she emerges, where she, she, she reveals that she's sleeping with Dryberg. Um, and this is where Dr. Manhattan has this very, very, um, emotional response. Um, and as well as everything else, he might have lost his ability to work in time. But did you notice here that he's, um, this is like passive aggressive behavior of the most human kind. Mm. He says, um, uh, I said often that you are my only link, my only concern with the world. When you left me, I left Earth. Does that not say something? Now you've replaced me and that link is shattered. Don't you see what that means? Mm. And I don't think he's arguing that they should get back together. But you could kind of see that argument being employed <laughs> by somebody like, you know, somebody incredibly insecure in his position right there. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's, um, yeah. yeah, I think, it, again, it's this, he's he's almost saying that completely dispassionately in, in a sort of a, just a sense of logic saying there's a, that was, I did have a link about, I did have a link to the world, that's gone now, so... Almost just sort of saying this is how it is, rather than so shall we get back together? Yeah, yeah, I, which is yeah, I, yes, seems very, very much like a yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So, uh, so we we move on. Um, Doctor Manhattan seems to be genuinely loving Mars, like he's looking down at it as kind of, mm. kind of like somebody who loves it. Like he kind of he looks at a dust cloud in the distance and he's like kind of, you know. Uh, you know, this is this is beautiful, you know, and that kind of thing. And it's like, it's very strange how he seems to be more enamoured of Mars than of Earth. But that's what kind of what Laurie's dealing with right now. Mm. Um, yeah. And um, he's very dismissive. He makes this argument that basically humanity's never achieved anything of cosmic value at all. So why does it matter if everybody dies? Yeah. Is what he says. And um, it's really weird. Yeah, like... I, what did you make of that argument? Because it seems to actually be really key to the book. It's very bleak to entertain. But the idea that perhaps human beings haven't, you know, have the sum total of human existence, if it can add up to us all destroying each other in nuclear fire, then it wasn't worth the effort, you know? Hmm. What did you make of that? Yeah, it's it's all... I suppose it's all rooted in sort of what you more widely believe about the meaning of life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, um, if you come from a completely uh, from a perspective like his, which is mm. um, completely sort of 
practical and rational, then you can follow it to its final extent and and arrive where he does, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because you just you just looking. It depends what you, it, it all depends on how you measure value, isn't it? What value yeah. are you measuring? What 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 is important and what isn't, and what makes a difference and what doesn't, and a difference to what? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's this deep philosophical rabbit hole, isn't it? Which you can just you can argue forever and ever about. Yeah, it definitely seems to be kind of important to him that like he's because he's kind of in a position to see humanity as like being a whole like a balance sheet over Mm. the whole of human history and i don't think any human being experiences human worth that way we experience it as you know we have to experience it as intrinsic we have to experience it as being part of us and the people we know instead Mm. of being about a history that we can't possibly quantify but dr manhattan clearly is is like kind of well you don't add up to a hill of beans you people Mm. Um, genuinely seems to have kind of contempt for life. Um, there's another flashback. Uh, we have Hollis dropping possibly the greatest faux pas <laughs> in the history of terrible faux pas. I thought that this really damaged his character for me. Yeah. Hey, have you read that book I wrote about how your mum got raped yet? Oh, oh, I forgot. I forgot about oh, that part of it, which, which got all the controversy and everybody dragged me over the coals about and how your mum still cries about to me. I completely forgot about that when I mentioned, why don't you read my fucking book? It <laughs> <laughs> felt absolutely ridiculous. It was to a 13-year-old as well. Bloody yeah. hell. Do you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> it I just, agree. Uh, I what just a thought. I thought when he when he said it, I thought he's 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 actually trying to create some massive drama and problem here, yeah. and he's trying to inflict some pain. I thought I can't imagine why because he seems like a nice guy for the rest of it. Yeah, and at the end, it seems to suggest that he just genuinely makes a mistake. But it just yeah. seems like such a. I just, I just one of those ones where it dropped me out of the story a bit because it seemed like such an impossible thing to forget to get yeah. so badly wrong well I, I tell you what I thought actually is that he's like this is a reunion of all the people the old superheroes right and they're all hanging out um, and so I honestly it seems to me that he's like in the middle of this like epic nostalgia fest and he, maybe he's had a few drinks and he's just full of all the happy memories of, of that whole time. And he's like, oh, hey, I wrote a book about that. Mm. And so I, I think it can work from the perspective of he's just like, he's had a few, he's reminiscing. He's happy about those reminiscences. And he kind of forgets what mm. has been to us the major content of his book. Because um, to him, it's about how his life was worthwhile. Yeah. That's what I think. I, I think I think that kind of plays. Hmm. But um, anyway, so um, uh, we we get a lot more kind of philosophy kind of hovering over Mars and, and Dr. Manhattan's talking about, you know, he loves the terrain. Like he sees something really worthwhile in geology and human life and human endeavor are all too short for him. Mm. But geology, he's like, this is amazing. It's yeah. um, quite and- a nice d- a demonstration of how he... He views he he views time in a different way, doesn't he? Yeah. And the the slow progress of geology, which is sort of a the the best way we can imagine the the sort of the, the breadth of time, really. The mm. idea that the entire human history is just this tiny little sliver on the top of a massive block of time. Yeah. Um. 
and that's I, I thought that was quite nicely done the way that that would be how you would explain it to somebody isn't it if you have that wider view of time yeah you'd take them somewhere like a mountain which takes however millions of years to form and then to change i thought yeah. it was interesting yeah i agree with that very much and um and to him geology is like a movie whereas to us it's it's impossible to conceive of mm. um yeah you're right and it kind of highlights the big divide between him and humanity and there's, there's actually there was one panel i wanted to call out as well on the bottom of in my edition it's page 294 where we see this kind of this big glass pimp crib thing um floating above a canyon and um and i just there was just something about the image that really grabbed me this time and i thought it was a great example of how you can because it's the it's the it's the kind of circular plan kind of view of the thing with this huge dark chasm running beneath it and almost kind of splitting it in half mm-hmm. i think it was just such a great way of presenting the you know the kind of undertone of the story and what's going on mm-hmm. um so um uh so uh we um we go back to flashback and laurie meets the comedian for the first time not knowing what he's done and there's this frankly fucking creepy interaction where he grabs her by the face says let me take a look um you ain't got her hair but otherwise you're like her you're a looker and fucking hell i don't know about you i was reading this i was like no come on no like i was you know i was railing against the book almost um, yeah, I didn't want this out. What did you make of this when it was going on? Yeah, I felt the same at the first reading. Um, after reading the rest of the chapter, does this scene feel different to you? Very much, very much, because I, because obviously it doesn't go in the direction you think it might when you mm. when you kind of read it. And um, Sally turns up and gets right in the comedian's face. You know, regardless of what complicated emotion she may explore away from him, when she's around him, she's just rightly very very angry um steps in to protect her daughter um but this conversation like you say has little seeds in it which are going to be revisited towards the end of this chapter and which i think make it an absolutely fantastic real economy of scripting uh Mm. to make it do what you need it to do um uh so um but before we get to that we have more um uh we have more stuff uh, talking, uh, we have more of, um, sorry, before we get to that, we have uh, Laurie and Manhattan talking on Mars, um, and we find out that uh, John John basically is a, is a walking image of the phrase, spoiler alert, isn't he? <laughs> um, because he tells her that, you know, um, you know he's, he sees in the future um, that their conversation ends with, Laurie in tears and he returns to the earth at some point in the future and the streets are full of corpses and that he can't see anything else mm. um, and that probably only a nuclear device could cause him to be that confused um, and so that would seem to be it so, so much for the tension I don't know what we're going to do for the last quarter of this book but it seems very clear that you know nukes are going to go off mm. um, and uh then there's another flashback 
we have Laurie getting it. Now she knows about what happened between the comedian and her mother getting right in the comedian's face. And she says, um, what kind of man are you? You have to take some woman. You have to force it into having sex against her will. And the comedian goes, only once. And I thought that was an incredible line. Just for all it says about the characters and all it says about everything, where he's like somehow justifies himself by saying, yeah, but I only did that once. Mm. And, and, and this leads us into this huge revelation of, uh, of uh, the fact that the comedian is Laurie's father. Mm. And it's like, dun, 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 dun. Like, it's this huge shock. Well, to me anyway, when I read it, it was a huge shock. What did you make of this when it came came out? Yeah, it's a shocking it's a shocking twist. Uh, I'm a bit confused, and I still am, because I haven't gone into the details of this. But um, it feels to me... How do the timelines add up here? How do you so mean? The, basically, it... Is this trying to say by the end of it that and this this line is, would be important in this sense? The uh, I just couldn't sustain the anger mm. that sometime after mm. this sexual assault happened, they got back together. Yeah, I think that's what it says because there's another bit in that same conversation between um, Sally and uh, Shexnader with his crazy <laughs> crazy name. Um, says, uh, um, first off, he was there, right? Plus, he was gentle. You know what gentleness means in a guy like that? Even a glimmer of it? Mm. Um, it means you reach something. It means you reach some of that magical romance and bullshit that they promise you when you're a kid. Um, so it's clear to me that the thing, the argument that Laurie remembers, Laurie's first memory is of her, who she thought her father was, and her mother arguing because he, he her Shexnader has just caught Sally having an affair with a comedian. Got it. Um, yeah. So I, so I think that's what it is, yeah. Because I didn't get out of the start, and then I, as I was thinking about it, because I, I thought it just meant that that one time, because that maybe they had a relationship before um, before the Oh, the and he's kind of trying to reclaim... But but I don't think that is the, because the ages don't add up, do they? It must be they must have had a relationship afterwards because she's yeah. only sixty. What she's sixteen at the time of the second, like the reformation of the Minutemen meeting. Yeah. Which is when was that? Is that like supposed to be the seventies? Uh, yeah, late sixties, I think. Late sixties. So then, oh you're no. Putting it, no, sorry, the first, the Minutemen is the 40s or something. Yeah, and that's where the sexual assault happens. Yeah, yeah. And then the sec, when's the second Minutemen meeting? Uh, late 60s. So, and, late and 60s. she's supposed to be, so, Laurie's, Laurie's supposed 16. to be 35 right now. So, uh, so yeah, so the, so the timeline means it must, if, if he's a dad, yeah. it's happened, at, it's happened after the, the first Minutemen meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's clear because that's why, that's why Blake's first response is to say only once yeah. when she accuses him of that, because clearly what he means is we went on to have consensual sex many times mm. as though that makes it any better. Right. But, but Laurie just completely misses that. And this is, this is Blake basically knowing that this woman is his daughter. 
Mm. Um, so I totally misread that first interaction after the um, after the uh, the first Minutemen meeting, where you know he uh, sorry the first um, Crime Busters meeting, mm. where um, uh, where you know he kind of talks to her outside and stuff, and and Sally gets really mad. So I do kind of wonder, and this is something that's not explored, but I do kind of wonder what what happened to end that relationship because is that that must be what Sally's yelling about. Hmm. You know? Yeah, it's um I mean it's a it's a it's a really um like as I said before, the sub this the idea of this sort of subject of going into this kind of subject matter is very is is is, is sort of brave brave material, isn't it? Yeah to look at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the kind of it's highly volatile stuff as well because I'm sure you have you can have campaigners who read this and think it's the worst thing they've ever read yeah. to, to to even suggest the very idea that somebody could do that yeah. but i suppose it's that as in somebody could have that done to them and then get back with the person who did it yeah. but i suppose it does happen um well quite you know and it's and it's never it's very rarely explored in fiction because it's too it's too sensitive, I suppose, and that's one of the great things about Watchmen. It, it goes to places that you, um, you, it makes you, as even reading, feel very uncomfortable. And I think the reason that I had such a blind spot over it and only really came to working out what this meant after sort of trying to piece together a bit of timeline is because it's such a, it's such an alien idea to think that someone could even do that, get back with someone who, yeah. Yeah. Who 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 raped you? That actually, you could have a relationship with someone like that. But you know, it's a it's a really, like I say, I think it's a really brave act on the part of a writer to even even approach that to kind even, of subject yeah, matter and try and to act as though talking about it is better than not talking about it. Yeah, and whether it whether it's done correctly is probably left better. There are people are in a better position to judge that than than me and probably you. Yeah, yeah. But um, but you know, I do think the very fact that it asks these kind of questions is is a is a very is a very brave move. I agree with that very very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, and so and we have this we have this kind of reveal that this relationship went on and um. And Laurie works out that the comedian was her father. And I wanted to say something about this. Um, the way that it's revealed with the text and the different boxes, the lots of different boxes, all containing mm. quotes from flashbacks we've already seen. Yeah, and I love that. Of, I thought it was great. I, I did too. I thought it was like this kind of cut-up technique, wasn't it? Like you kind of, you know, meaning emerges from what you've already got if you juxtapose them in different ways. Mm. Um, and she's like... Yeah, like actually, incredibly powerful, and powerful enough. So angry is she that she destroys this entire crystal edifice, this pimp crib. Mm. Um, and um, I don't know about you, but sorry, 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 go on. I was going to say I don't know about you, but I thought this was a real emotional. uh, I was going to say high point, but like real kind of, you really felt the depth of it, and I was just like, it's like one of those great moments in really good drama where you're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even mind the uh, the sort of on the nose literal, you know, whole house of cards crashing down as a her whole world is crashing down around her, isn't it? As this as this 
yeah. massive glass tower is doing the same and yeah. that's a bit it's a bit on the nose but it kind of still works because it's done so well yeah um, yeah yeah you're absolutely right there what's the i quite like the the thing with the the fact that they're standing in the middle of the massive smiley face as well do you know what that's real that is that's, that's actually a ge- that's a geological feature on mars <laughs> Because um, he names it, so you can look it up. He, he says, uh, you know, land here. And he says, on the Argaia Plantinia. Planitia. Um, and I, I, to the best of my knowledge, anyway, I, that's that's real, I think. That's um, fantastic, if that's true. That's yeah, another yeah, yeah. great touch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how he would know this in the 80s as well, because I don't know how, like, how... It must be a really big smiley face if the cameras they had orbiting Mars in the 80s were good enough to pick it up. Um <laughs> But I'm actually I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out right now. Hmm. The Argyre Planitia. Um, Wikipedia says. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the crater Gale, located on the east rim of Argyre, strongly resembles a smiley face. The East Rim of Argyre? Yeah. That's, that sounds like it should be in the Scottish Highlands. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it sounds like it should be a Wings song. <laughs> <laughs> the band the Beatles could have been, Matt, you know. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, hail from the East Rim of Argyre. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we, if, if Scottish independence goes through, we're recording this on the 14th of September. <laughs> it goes through, this is going to seem a much more subversive podcast than we meant it to be. Yeah, true. Um, good accent, though, Matt. Um, so, um, so yeah, that's real. That actually exists. Cool. Um, and while they are there, Dr. Manhattan is kind of persuaded to come back to Earth because, like, the his his consideration of uh, kind of Laurie's story and, and how, you know, how she has never known her father, even though her father was kind of in her life and, you know, all these kind of complicated things. He describes human lives as being like thermodynamic miracles. And mm. I, I really loved this because the language of science and the language of wonder often don't go together very well. Mm. But the, so, and, but I think both, you know, both are incredibly important in combination ways of looking at the world. And I think one can feed the other. Mm. Um, but um, so I love that he's like kind of, you know, it's it's documented that one atom can turn to another atom spontaneously, but it's obviously vanishingly rare. And yeah. every human birth is a miracle on that kind of scale. And every human mm. life is a miracle on that kind of scale. It's just that they're so commonplace that you don't, get to recognize it mm. um and so i thought that was it was a surprisingly beautiful and poetic place to to kind of land in that at the end of the chapter yeah yeah i agree so it's the, it's, it's very it's pretty much the unpredictability and the uh i don't know the the million to one shot chances happening of life that makes it worth while yeah and that and that's the argument and that's what that convinces kind of turns to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 absolutely and so we have that and and he, yeah, you, don't, he you don't get that to go home. you don't get that in you don't get that in rocks manhattan so. <laughs> damn right how many soap operas you're gonna get about the rocks next week on the rocks the rocks <laughs> sit next to other rocks yeah 
Dum, 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 dum. Next week on The Rocks, the slow, gradual pace of change continues. <laughs> <laughs> Steadily and predictably in the short term. <laughs> awesome. Oh, oh my, I'm eroding, I'm eroding. It's really, really slowly. <laughs> We're all eroding. We're in the same <laughs> microclimate and subjected to the same conditions. <laughs> Oh man! All right, okay. Well, that's the end of the chapter. Um, and the last thing we have here is um, uh, one of the things that Laurie had with her, and she kind of threw it off of the off of this uh, palace in in her anger was a scrapbook full of her mother's kind of memories of being a superhero or a costumed adventurer. Yeah. And it does seem to have been. This is more interesting. I found this more interesting because, like, the question of Sally's backstory is much more pertinent. Mm. Um. And uh, and much more kind of rich, whereas the other backstories, I'm just kind of like, I get it, Dan likes owls, great, move on. Yeah. Um, but it seems Sally really has been exploited from day one, do you know what I mean? Mostly by Shexnader. Yeah. Um, you know, he gets, you know, like, news stories planted with headlines like, villains vie for voluptuous vigilante. <laughs> <laughs> gets her cast in a in a movie. <laughs> And they and she's kept the review of it in a in a scrapbook, and it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> Opens with the absolute classic line: "If you like tasteful and sensually artistic modern cinema, then I recommend that this film be avoided at all costs." Hey, <laughs> like the absolute classic review, you know? Yeah, um, I thought I thought the article from the Daily World was um, another example of how. You know, it was almost sort of good, wholesome fun at the start. You know, there's these guys <laughs> who are just getting arrested for the, you know, just for the sake of it and saying, you know, it, it, the the crime that they that they get caught doing is sort of one of those trying, is it trying to rob a liquor store or something or something along those lines? Yeah, it's robbing a liquor store. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, she beat me fair and square and no hard feelings and all this. And it... And it's kind of like that. It's the it's the cuddly superhero world of comics, hmm. um, of some co- of like kids comics, I suppose. Um, but with there's obviously odd sexual undertone as well. Yeah. But it it just felt very sort of I don't know roast tinted glasses fifties about it, and and it was quite an quite a nice juxtaposition to what you've got the superhero or the the masked adventurers doing. Yeah. In, in the rest of the book. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, that's true, actually, isn't it? Like, it starts off as a bit of a laugh. Um, yeah. But um, anyway, the last, the very last page gives us, you know, yet more kind of depth. You get a sense of Sally in her own words describing, you know, her relationship and experience with and of the, um, the comedian. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think there's a lot to say about it, really, except to say that she is extremely conflicted about it. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's complicated, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oy. Anyway. Yeah, you got the sort of, that sort of victim complex as well. Yeah. With the, yeah. Uh, and that, and what was it, was it my fault? Yeah. Was I to blame in some way and all this? And, yeah. and I suppose from the perspective of where she ended up as well with starting a relationship up again with this guy, yeah. it's, um, it's something that she herself is just can't can't seem to work out 
I don't know. It's it's that kind of that it's kind of a trauma in her past which she yeah. hasn't managed to actually un, un, even understand herself, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a very very realistic depiction of that kind of psychological phenomenon, but it's so difficult to read. Hmm. Um, I found that yeah, I found that very very difficult to be honest. Um, but that and that's the end of the chapter, bringing us to. Three minutes to midnight, the blood descends even further down the page, and Matt's got a song, which is... I don't, I don't think I can do one after talking about that. It feels too... Yeah. It feels too weird. I, I agree, I agree. You know what? Can I can Just I, do can two I do the, for the next the, one. Yeah, can I do that next? We'll do that at the start of the next yeah, one. Right, we'll, come, okay. we'll come in with a bang. We'll come in with a musical number. Brilliant. <laughs> look forward to that yeah absolutely absolutely right so that's that's part three then what do you make of this bit heavy stuff especially the last bit and uh and again it it, i think it's that kind of stuff that that makes this into something more than just your average graphic novel isn't it it's why it's so well respected that it goes into areas that are very uncomfortable to read about even and also the stuff about you know the meaning of of existence and life, and it really does explore some really interesting and sort of not it goes down some sort of not well trodden paths as well, which which makes it a really interesting read. Mm. And of course, you've still got the action and the uh, excitement of busting Rorschach out of jail, and yeah, uh, yeah it's another. It's another really strong three chapters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like this is deep in the world really well. I mean, the first one was there was a lot of exposition, and the second and third mm-hmm. chunks that we're doing here have really pulled us into a world which I think at times has this astonishing complexity, particularly in characters. Um, mm. Really nuanced and interesting, and definitely not Denison Nasher. <laughs> yeah, definitely. there we go all right well so so that's us done then isn't it it is and if you want to get involved with watchmen uh and our coverage of it any thoughts yourself and any of the big issues we've talked about or the little issues uh we're quite happy to hear about either you can uh, email us sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com or on twitter at sharkliveroil now we are quite a few episodes ahead with Watchmen so um, if you haven't heard any if you have emailed us and you've not heard anything back yet it's probably because we're, we're a couple of episodes in front at the moment so we'll probably save the feedback pretty much for the end of the end of the run next week and uh, and we'll, we'll do them then and if we get much else beyond that we'll we'll have to yeah. respond to yeah. you off air but yeah if we don't read anything out don't feel particularly offended it's just because we we're our recording schedule at the moment means we're uh we're putting these out a few weeks after we record them so yeah that, that's a decent explanation isn't it, well though? done very well done i did my best did. it's probably up there with uh with the page numbers in game <laughs> oh, of thrones don't. if oh, any of you guys have listened to that oh, oh yeah that is something i do not miss about doing these podcasts <laughs> trying to explain <laughs> the various different volumes of game of thrones and if you're reading the paperback version <gasps> Blah, blah, Bloody blah. hell, George. Yeah. Do it simply. <laughs> well, until next time. Until next time, Matt. Uh, obviously, the um, what we're doing next time is we're reading from chapter... Oh, God, what chapter is it? Chapter 10? Yeah, chapter yeah? 10, 11, and 12. We're doing from chapter 10, 11, 12. From chapter 10 to the end. 
Easy as that. Bosh. Bosh. Excellent stuff. 